0: I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The rally in stocks going for the longest winning streak, as Carl just said. In some 19 years today, we debate whether the investing landscape really is improving. Joining me for the hour, Josh Brown, Stephanie Link, Rob Seach, and we'll take you to the wall. Uh, we show you what markets are doing right now. We're we're going for 4,400 as well on the S&P, so we're going for 9 in a row. We're going for 10 in a row, Josh, on the NASDAQ. Why don't you address this question? How much has
1: the landscape really improved? for stocks? I, don't, I think ma- mainly what's improved is sentiment. I really don't think the landscape has changed much at all. Most of us understood that the last rate hike was either going to be the last or second to last. I don't think anyone outside of maybe a wild uh, guess would have said, yeah, we're gonna keep hiking into 24. So if that's what we're hanging the recent rally on the end of rate hikes, well, that's been a known, known probably since, I don't know, July or August. Sentiment is different. Sentiment has greatly changed. And one of the things that we've been talking about since the beginning of September is will there be a performance chase? Will there be a year-end rally? And typically, when you have gains like the ones we've seen, specifically in the NASDAQ this year, that's exactly how the final two months of the year shape up. So I'm glad it's happening. I don't think it has anything to do with fundamentals at all. Um, But sometimes that's all that counts. People feel better. They're putting money to work. They're not obsessing over money market rates for a change. We'll see how long that lasts. Jeff, you want to take issue with that? Yes, (laughs)
2: I think a lot of it has to do with better fundamentals. We've talked about the economy hanging in there, running at about two, two and a half percent. Um, And we got great job number again today. Initial claims is now running four week moving average at 210,000. And it has been in that range for the last seven weeks. So the job market is holding in. That is helping the consumer. Remember, retail sales last month were actually much better than expected, that everybody has forgotten about. Manufacturing, there are pockets in in the manufacturing segment, aviation, Onshoring, supply chain rebuilds; those are all humming, and that's helping the economy as well. And now you have the end of destocking, and that's going to help GDP as well. So GDP is better, growth is better. We have we're making progress on inflation. Whatever metric you want to look at, PCE, CPI, unit labor cost, productivity, all of those things are showing better inflation trends. Not to where the Fed wants it to go, but certainly making progress. And to the Fed, I think they now sound a little bit more realistic about what's going on. And so I. Do think as a result we've seen the peak in rates. Maybe they stay higher for longer. We've been talking about that for over a year. That's okay because the economy actually can handle it, growing at two two and a half percent. And by the way, earnings are coming in better than expected, and revisions are higher. So to me, you add it all up, and Mm -hmm. yeah, of course, a part is sentiment, but a lot of it is fundamentals. We're doing better than what people expected.
0: If that's true, why are small caps doing so poorly? For one thing, and then Barkin today from the Fed. We're going to have more on the Fed in just a moment. By the way. Anecdotes suggest the economy could be weaker than the data suggests. That's barking from the Fed.
2: I think small caps, a lot a lot of the companies have high debt loads, and as a result, with higher interest rates, that's going to be a headwind. Um, I think that's a big problem with it. I'm not a small cap investor. I don't think that the transparency is nearly as good as mid cap and large cap companies. So yeah, I'm watching it for sure. But I'm looking at other things like industrial is doing pretty good. Uh, Energy Today finally is catching a bid. Financials have at least stabilized. Are any of these as attractive as technology? No. However, we are are seeing a bit of a broadening out, and so maybe just go own more technology, which is exactly what I've been doing. I mean,
0: because in energy, for example, it's down five and a half percent in a week. I mean, catching a bid is is being a little generous because I mean, the sector's flat. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, the the energy sector today is up 0.11 percent.
3: I know.
2: I know, but it was down double digits just a couple of months ago. So it has had a little bit of a Stephanie, are
1: you saying the economy has meaningfully improved from October to November? Because that's what Scott's asking.
2: No. No. So I agree I with you that the is economy actually, is OK. I think the economy is much better than OK. Do you think it changed? We just 4.9 percent, Josh. But do you think so it changed month over month? Is the- we're not going to grow 4.9 percent in the fourth quarter, but we're not going to see negative growth, which is what people were expecting, or really, really terrible growth. We're running at about 2.1 percent Atlanta Fed tracker. That number tends to be volatile, and it's going to move around a lot. But the underlying fundamentals of the economy are better than expected, and inflation is coming down. That combination has led the Fed to pause, and I think that they're done. And as a result, you've also seen rates pull back a little so, bit. I think all of those reasons are the reasons why the so, market So just that. Real,
1: real quick, in one week, the start of November, we've seen call option contracts go from $19 million to $32.5 million. It is the biggest jump in one-week call option activity that we really have on record all year. And so from my perspective, that's a sentiment measure, has nothing to do with fundamentals. That's just people saying, all right, two months left in the year, seasonally, nothing blew up very, during earnings. And I'm this long. is a
2: very important time and a strong time in the market.
1: Fair.
0: So Rob Seeshan, I'm going to get you in a second. But, you know, because we've gotten on, on this, this conversation, I want to bring in Steve Leisman now uh, because – We do have some Fed speak today and some pretty important speak at that. 2 p.m., Fed Chair Powell's gonna gonna talk, but we're also getting some comments, Steve, from the interim St. Louis president. What are we learning here?
3: Yeah, kind of unusual that we do have an economic speech from the interim president, Kathleen O'Neill Pace. She says the Fed can afford to wait before deciding to hike again. And, and in that statement, you see she has this slight lean towards hiking. She says if inflation progress stalls, the quote, the committee should act properly. <clears throat> Until inflation is clearly and convincingly headed to 2%, she does not want to take another rate hike off the table. She reveals in her speech that in September, she was one of those who had forecast another rate hike before year end, one she seems willing at the moment to put on hold. She says monetary policy remains modestly restrictive not overly tight. On inflation, she says there's been progress, but recently it's been moving more sideways than down. Recent labor reports suggest to her that the market supply and demand are becoming better aligned. And then on a critical issue of financial and tightening credit conditions, she does say they have tightened over the past several months and higher rates are beginning to constrain economic activity. The tightening of financial conditions, she says, supports a decision to hold rates steady at least for now. Um, And those conditions, however, echoing what uh, Chair Powell said, need to persist to have an important impact on bringing inflation down to 2%. And she's one of uh, three speakers we've had already this morning, Scott, Mm -hmm. all kind of with the same tune, which is that we're still in this wait and see mode uh, in terms of whether or not we need to hike it again and also kind of wary about inflation, Uh, and not having the progress that they have wanted wanted recently, um, but waiting to see if the lags of monetary policy and tighter financial conditions do the job for the Fed.
0: I wonder, Steve, what we're going to get from the chair today in his own remarks at at 2 o'clock, because one of the central issues that we've been discussing every day as, as stock market investors, the investment committee, is whether the market's gotten this right, whether they've gotten Powell right. It was one of the key events, obviously, that spurred the... The rally in stocks once again, this view that he was uh, more dovish than than expected. Does does he need today to push back on any
3: sort of perceived dovish commentary that the market took it for? Well, I I think you're asking the right question, Scott. And and I would add another question to that. Does Powell perceive that the market has it right? And does he feel a need to tweak the market expectations if you look at the probabilities for the next meeting they're down in single digits high single digits but just nine percent I'm looking at them as we're talking here for January just 17 percent for a rate hike so the market has taken that rate hike off the table so Powell has two choices here the first is to actually jawbone that uh that probability higher if he feels a need to Or he can let the data do the talking. It's just next week, Scott, that we're going to start getting CPI uh, data. We'll get some retail sales data as well. And if the market sees that retail sales are strong again, as Stephanie was talking about, if the market sees that uh, inflation is still doing that sort of sideways to up thing that it's been doing recently, the market might reset on its own. I think Powell's probably going to take this neutral tone that has become such a part of uh, Fed speak these days, neutral tone with a kind of a bias still to hike uh, mm-hmm. and let the data do the talking and let the market react to the data the way the Fed thinks it ought to. All right. We'll see um, in a
0: couple hours. <clears throat> excuse me, a couple hours. Uh, Steve, thank you. Steve Leisman, senior economics reporter, uh, as we thank look you. ahead to Fed Chair Powell's uh, discussion uh, later this afternoon. So Rob Seacher, now, you know, to all the points that have been made, I don't know whether the economic fundamentals have improved or not. Um, that can be debated, as, as it was just on, on this desk. Um, what I do know is that what's improved is to 10-year. The 10-year the yield has improved dramatically in the last couple of weeks. And for now, it seems that's all the market really cares about. So how do you address that in the central question of today's show? Has the investing landscape changed for the better?
4: Well... No. Uh, yes, it has, at least in the short term, because of what's happened to rates. And, you know, when you ask Steve the question, I'm not sure that the market uh, did get Powell right. He said several times that the Fed needs to consider future rate hikes and, hikes and can stop here. Um, and I think it's a mistake to assume that he and the Fed are completely done. I think he pushed back on the bullish no uh, on the dovish notion during his press conference. And these priced are uh, prices are all uh, these cuts are already priced into the market. We're already seeing 50 basis points of cuts over in the next year and futures have 100 basis points of cuts. So there there is definitely a a disconnecting between the the Fed and the markets and I think what we're seeing here is this this is this a growth scare or just a sign of normalization and we don't have enough data yet to make that call and so I would say you need to be as data dependent as the Fed we're seeing signs of weakness around the edges continuing claims remain a little elevated there's a slowdown in wage growth jobs openings are coming off their highs and I think you really have to watch the consumer to know But when you start to look at this, you could see that this slowdown could be a self-fulfilling prophecy and move into the death spiral. So I I would say it's too early to tell if we're having just a modest growth scare or if we're going to enter another world like we entered next year. Mm -hmm. On Josh's Mm -hmm. point related to sentiment, I think the sentiment was driven by exactly what you said, which is the move in the 10-year from five to four and a half and the implications of that for large cap tech, along with the earnings that were delivered in those names, right? And I think going into the year end, it's going to be really hard for investors that have owned those. We have owned uh, four of the seven. It's hard for us to do anything with those names because of the tax implications there. And so, you have an environment where there's no sellers and there's opportunity being created beneath the surface because there's very limited buyers down there. You look at the cyclicals, you look at small cap; Those names are not being bought. And yet I think what's gonna happen is we're gonna have strength in the year end and the names that have worked. What has worked will continue. As you set into the following year, I think it's much a repeat of 22. There's going to be some underperformance despite the enthusiasm in these big names. Because everybody that wanted to own them seems to own them. And you're getting some window dressing right now.
1: That's well, what I, don't those options about that.
0: I don't know. I don't I don't know, I know about but that. That, is, I don't, that. I don't is know, I don't what know Josh about that because, because, about. because uh, you know, Stephanie Link didn't own Alphabet and use the opportunity to buy Alphabet. So not everybody is in Not everybody is in all those stocks. Let me also suggest that I feel like you're being a little selective when you say that the market got it wrong. Looking to cuts when that's not necessarily where the the conversation should be had. Powell had numerous occasions on Fed Day, you know, in the news conference to push back on the, the market view and the pricing of the market that they were done raising. Not necessarily the cutting part, that's like putting the cart before the horse. J- just on the point of the, the done being, uh, done with the hiking, he had numerous chances to do that and he didn't, which is one of the reasons why it was taken as dovish. But Steph, mm. um, my point is that not everybody owns these names and if you, I know it seems hard to believe that, but you're a perfect example of adding to one that you didn't, even though it's run a lot?
2: Well, because the fundamentals are really were really strong and the stock sold off 10% on the news. And I just thought, wow, everybody was focusing on cloud slowing to 23%. I'll take 23% any day. 80% of the business is advertising and that, that accelerated for the third straight quarter. So when I look at those kinds of things and I see earnings growing 46%, revenues growing 11%, and the stock trades at 15 times EBITDA, I kind of thought that the risk reward, given what the new news on the fundamentals, uh, which I think only get better, by the way, I thought it was a good opportunity. I think it's very hard to own all of the seven. I mean, that, that I have to run a diversified portfolio. Could be half your portfolio. That's exactly <laughs> great, Josh, right? right. I mean, we talked about tech and comm services being 35 percent of the S&P 500. Yep. That's my benchmark that's irresponsible that in my mind I, I, uh, I do want to though take advantage of some of the dislocations like the like the alphabet like meta because I also added to that too well, that, so did that, should, that should never have fallen
0: Rob you added to alphabet yourself
4: we did on 1027 for some of the same reasons that Steph said and the volatility that's created around these moves in interest rates has been extraordinary. <laughs> And so why not take a core name that we've owned for a long time and when opportunity presents itself, add to it. That was 1027, I think it's up 12% since then. So, and we still like it at these levels. So there's gonna be haps and have nots in these names, Scott. We don't own Tesla, we don't own Nvidia because we don't like the valuation characteristics of those names.
0: On the question of whether, Uh, you know, the the landscape uh, for 24 uh, has improved, I don't know why. Maybe you need to turn your if you have a TV on, Rob, turn it down or turn it off. Um, Goldman's Jan Hatsias put out his 2024 outlook yesterday, and he was pretty optimistic. Um, Fifteen percent is his recession call. It stays there. And he told me on Closing Bell that a number of asset classes will do well in the new year. Listen.
5: For rates, at the long end and the short end, we don't expect big differences, but we do expect a pickup in returns in credit. We expect a somewhat bigger pickup in uh, in equities, and then we're looking for commodity prices to recover and to actually produce pretty strong returns in 2024.
0: It also- so, Josh, what do you make of this? I mean, this is. You know, there's a lot of negativity out about what's going to come next year. This pushes back on an awful lot of that. City also says S&P goes to 5K uh, by 2024.
1: I, I feel like it's very binary. If we don't have a credit crunch next year because rates come down enough that we can unfreeze capital markets, then probably no recession just because there's nothing slowing down right now. Stephanie made, even though I disagreed with her answer to to what I had to say. She did make all the relevant points. If you're looking for signs of a good economy, everything she said is true, but that's a big if absent a credit crunch. Um, I was sitting with uh, Professor Campbell Harvey on Tuesday night, the godfather of the yield curve indicator, absolutely convinced that there has to be a credit crunch uh... next year no way around it even if the fed stopped hiking rates definitively right now just given the state of banks held to maturity portfolios and how little credit they're probably gonna make available so it's a big assumption that we're gonna get this on freeze it's a big assumption that the fed will keep saying higher for longer and the ten-year and related rates will keep falling I'm not ready to make that assumption and feel great about 2024 and say only a 15 percent chance of a recession next year. It, se- it, it seems like we're giving a lot of different things the benefit of the doubt that they just haven't earned yet. Well, including,
0: Steph, Josh ends that perfectly, um, benefit of the doubt, including geopolitics. Yeah. The benefit of the doubt that it's not going to get worse. Whereas Greenlight's David Einhorn put out his latest investor letter yesterday, and he's not willing to give that the benefit of the doubt anymore. And by the way, first nine months of this year, up 28 percent net of fees, not a big holder of mega cap. In fact, it's been just pure bottoms up stock picking. Uh, Consol Energy, big winner. Capri Holdings gets a takeout. Black Knight. short an innovation basket. But now he says he is effectively, quote, on a buyer strike, Mm. did not establish any material long positions, reduced his gross exposure, says investors have been conditioned to ignore geopolitical risk that geopolitical risk presents itself as a small overnight sell-off creating an immediate buying opportunity, if I, if I, <laughs> until it doesn't. <laughs> if That's I, sort of his point.
2: If I was up 28 percent, I probably would be on a buyer strike now as well, in between now and, yeah, and lock, the end of the Yeah, lock it year, in. Right? Lock I mean, in. why wouldn't you? But,
0: so what about the, the greater point no, that, no, that he, that he makes? Course,
2: no. Obviously, there's always things that we worry about. You've heard me say many times, I worry when I don't worry because that means I'm complacent. So there's always things to worry about. And geopolitical p- politics, rather, is really a, obviously a big unknown. Um, but here's a couple things. Well, we're going to watch jobs. We talk about that all the time, right? I always cite the initial claims. That's in their favor. And that helps the consumer as, w- as well as wages. But we have oil prices are down 40 cents year over year. That's $54 billion potential for additional consumption from the consumer if they, if they choose to spend. And I do think people pay very much attention to the prices at the pump. And when they go down, they feel better. And that helps sentiment as well. And then, of course, an infrastructure Well, we have $2 trillion of infrastructure spend that hasn't even been put into the economy just yet. It's in the second or third inning if you talk to any of the onshore companies. So I think that's a nice tailwind as well. Are we going to slow down because of higher rates? Yes, we are. But maybe we can engineer a soft landing, but we're all going to have to be data dependent. What I can tell you is I feel very strongly about between now and the end of the year that you will see the chase, that you will see a higher market and then we'll have to assess 2024.
0: At some point, Josh, though, you need these other areas of the market to do something. You can't just have this dynamic where seven stocks do great and industrials don't do so well, small caps don't do well, energy doesn't do well, financials doesn't do well, right? I mean, how long can this really last? So this is Same I've, question we've been asking for seemingly forever.
1: Yeah, our whole lives. We'll ask it again next year, too. Uh, <laughs> I think that this is one of the most interesting uh, fundamental debates in the market right now is something that seems unsustainable by definition probably is. But the question is not is that automatically negative for the market because there's two versions of how this plays out. Version one is 2007. Where you have a catch down a lot of people don't remember specifically that year you had stocks that just went up every day even as the rest of the market stalled out right into the top in october Um, and then you had that catch down where the winners died off one by one until there were none left and then it was like uh, a gravitron drop Um, this could be that or the other version is a catch up And let me share something with you on small caps that I found very interesting. Uh, Shout out to Sean, one of my researchers. Last week, the Russell 2000, after closing at a 52-week low, went on to have its best four-day rally in the last three months. We went back and looked. This has happened 19 other times going back to 1980. A year later, on average, small caps were up 100% of the time with a median return of 26%. At no point, Did they continue to sell off after having a moment like that as of yesterday you look at large cap valuations 18.1 pe forward pe mid caps are 12.8 small caps 11.9 so to people saying i don't like this environment but i'm still like i don't like that it's only seven stocks but i still want to do something proactive and invest by all means take a look at small caps just don't get upset if it takes a while before they deliver something because it's been a really, really long drought all year. I want to
0: get one move in before we uh, or at least a call of the day, because it relates to a recent move that Steph made when you bought about a month ago, Parker Hannafin. Mm-hmm. Right. Let's discuss this call of the day today. That stock upgraded to a buy at Deutsche Bank. Uh, win strategy keeps on giving. That's the quote target to five hundred and six dollars. There it is at four nineteen.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's had a really nice run, so I'm kind of surprised that she actually upgraded it. She's a very good analyst, though. Um, I think that the, po- the bottom line is the company is being able to deliver. They're executing very well. Margins are expanding like we thought they were, but actually even stronger. Um, and they've done a lot of M&A over the last couple of years that's extending their long cycle exposure, meaning less cyclicality. And that is, a, I think, uh, something that could re-rate the stock going forward. And I think that's what she's saying today, too. This is aerospace and this is industrials um, and diversified industrials. It's onshoring and reshoring and all that stuff. It's everything that I've been talking about, and that's the way you play it. It's at trading it though at a 10% discount to the group, so it's still on a relative valuation attractive. It's just had a nice run. I wouldn't be buying it up. I'd wait for a couple of days of down.
0: Okay, um, let's take a first break. Uh, when we come back, Disney. Well, it delivered. Shares popping after profits topped expectations. So, has the story changed? Is this now a name to own? It's back above 90 bucks. That's 8% today, we'll debate it next. Welcome back. Let's talk. Disney shares are higher today after delivering an earnings beat. Revenue missed. However, um, the company is increasing its cost cutting significantly by an additional two billion dollars. Heard an interview earlier today on this network uh, by the analyst Michael Nathanson, very respected media analyst. Quote, feels like Disney's back to being in control. Uh, All right, Steph. So you you got fed up with this one. And you sold it
2: a lot higher, by the way.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. So would you would you you buy it back? Would you buy it back?
2: Well, I said yesterday that the CFO announcement, Hugh Johnston, going to the company, made it a lot more attractive. If you think that Iger can cut costs now, just wait until Hugh Hugh Johnston gets a hold of this uh, company and the balance sheet and that sort of thing. So I think there's more to do. Look, I mean, the quarter was good. I mean, operating cash flow up 40 percent for the year, and they had sub growth when everyone else is seeing sub declines, and and their content costs also came down, not as much. As I thought, which actually I think is a positive because I want them to spend on content. So I think there, there are a lot of pieces in place for this to be an interesting idea. I just think the overall space is under a lot of challenges, and, it, and it's not going to be so easy. It's a cost-cutting story right now. It's not a yeah. revenue story. Uh, usually that's how turnarounds happen, mm-hmm. and they start, but I'm going to just let the dust settle a little bit.
0: So, Josh, I know you were looking at this, and we talked about it. I didn't and- buy it. I didn't think you did. Well, you know, I think you said when it, if it got a seven handle on it, yeah. you know, you'd you take a more serious look.
1: Well, now it's moved in the opposite direction. Oh, well. I mean, not, no interest? No, not here. I do think, though, that, that something has changed. They are playing offense. Announcing an additional $2 billion in cost cuts is important. Uh, this one jumped out at me, too. Free cash flow now expected to be $8 billion for 2024. That's versus $4.9 in the prior year period. That is a meaningful uh, improvement in the financials. The question becomes, to Stephanie's point, if it's a cost-cutting story, we all have to remind ourselves, this is a cost-cutting story in an entertainment arms race. How much cost-cutting can you do while still shoveling money into the parks, which by the way is their best business right now, until the content suffers. And the content has not been good lately. Everyone agrees with that. So like, is there a point where it's too much cost cutting and maybe they'll have to reverse course? So that's still up in the air for me. I recognize the stock has had a nice move. I missed out. Um, And I do think that they're taking the bull by the horns. But for me, and I've said this many times, I still think, the chances of ESPN going full-on standalone app, in, completely indec- independent of cable systems and being as successful as it had been are very slim. And that's the black cloud over the story that's keeping me out of the stock right now.
0: What's keeping you out of the stock, Rob Seachin?
4: Um, you know, it was simply the metrics, but really they're trying to pull a really difficult move of growing top line while cutting costs. now. That's something that Meta and Google have been able to do this year. And, and like Stephanie, we got out of Meta last year and got back in at the end of the year when they were kind of hitting lows. And we are in wait-and-see mode until we see continued momentum and maybe a little better valuation. But the question we're asking ourselves is, is Disney the meta for 24? And we have some more work to do on that, but it's something on our radar. And as you think about going into next year and top picks, this is something that has to be a candidate for new edge.
0: All right. Uh, Speaking of media, by the way, don't miss a special primetime interview with Liberty Media chairman John Malone. That's tonight. David Faber's exclusive interview, part of CNBC Leaders and that series that we have. Catch it eight o'clock Eastern time right here on CNBC. The headlines now with Bertha Coombs. Hey, hey Bertha. Scott.
6: Here's what's happening at this hour. Senate Democrats have delayed a vote this morning on issuing subpoenas in a Supreme Court ethics probe. The Democratic-led Senate Judiciary Committee could call up billionaire Republican donor Harlan Crow and conservative fundraiser Leonard, Leonard Leo. Both are facing questions over their ties to Justices Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito. United Airlines is making changes to its frequent flyer program to reward big spenders. They'll also make it easier to earn elite status through co-branded Chase credit cards. Starting next year, customers will get 25 points for every $500 they spend. Right now, it's 500 points for every $12,000 spent. And this one is wild. Actor-musician Jared Leto channeled his inner Spider-Man this morning and scaled part of the Empire State Building. After the climb, he told the Today Show crew that he did it to cross off his bucket list and to promote the upcoming tour of his band, 30 Seconds to Mars. That is just nuts. Back to you.
0: I have nothing else to say. Bertha, thank (laughs) you. Bertha Coombs. Up next, we're tracking the trades. Rob Seachin making more moves in his portfolio today, including adding one big bank. We'll tell you what it is and the others when we come back. All right, let's talk some moves. Okay, Rob Sechin. Give me first, you're adding to Wells Fargo. Tell me why.
4: Quality business with great earnings consistency, valuation is reasonable at nine times. It has one of the strongest tier one capital positions out there at 11%. We trimmed it back in March, got and it's up 10% since then, but valuation is 15% cheaper.
0: Stephanie Link, you no longer own Wells Fargo. You are in it for a long time. Yeah. Um, financials are one of these sectors that just haven't done anything good. <laughs> down three percent in three months, um, and year to date, not much at all.
2: No, it's really uh, nothing. Fru- it's frustrating, and it's all yield curve concerns and their bond portfolio mix and that sort of thing um, I think you could pick one or two of these names and any of the big ones uh, I think they're all gaining market share and they're all cheap so Wells Fargo is 0.8 times or 0.9 times book well Bank of America is 0.8 times book um, and American Express doesn't trade on book but it's trading at 14 times uh, earnings and that's by far my biggest name so I took profits in Wells put it into both of those hasn't been a pleasant experience to be honest with you but I have a lot of conviction in American Express into the end of the year and into next year because I think the consumer's going to hang in.
0: Okay uh, Rob you sold Accenture tell us
4: yeah we sold Accenture because uh, bookings have been declining for four consecutive quarters and the valuation remains elevated at 24 times Scott
0: okay Kimberly Clark you sold that too
4: Yeah, business has seen a slight increase in volumes and profitability, um, but we think the upside is limited at 18 times. So these were both kind of valuation takeouts for what we thought were better positions going into year end.
0: Steph, Accenture, Kimberly-Clark. What do you I've,
2: think? I've owned Accenture before in mm-hmm. the past. It's always traded a huge premium to IBM. So I actually wound up taking profits out of Accenture and added to IBM. IBM is one of my biggest positions. It's really cheap. And I think the CEO is doing such good things in terms of cloud and AI and data center, blockchain, across the gamut. He's really changing the, complex, uh, the complexity of the company to be simpler and more understandable. Uh, and that has been a problem over the years. So I think this story is really a very attractive one at really at like half the valuation of Accenture.
0: If I asked you, what's the one or two positions that you have in your book that you're most excited about right now, what would you say? How would you answer that
2: question? Most excited about? Yeah. um, well, I think the ones that I most recently bought, um, I, I, I mean, you know, obviously we talked about Alphabet, so I'm excited about that. I'll tell you where I actually think there's more, a lot of upside, and we're starting to hear about it, memory pricing, um, so the semicap equipment companies, memory pricing. Like price, LAM Research? LAM and Applied Materials, KLA. I mean, I don't own Applied or KLA, but I'm thinking about it. You own LAM. LAM is a big, big position, but we're starting to get data points. DigiTimes came out today talking about memory prices being better than expected, so I actually think that that's really a nice opportunity that's kind of... Kind of like under the radar
0: okay we're gonna do our chart of the day next it's a stock burnt to a crisp uh, after reporting disappointing. i see guy. what you
1: did there <laughs> you're so clever
0: <laughs> oh you'll have to deal with the burnt toast next Welcome back. So our chart of the day, you weren't on yesterday. Couldn't ask you about it yesterday. Obviously on social media, people wanted to know your thoughts on what's going on with toast, which you've talked about
1: on numerous occasions and you still own. Yep. Uh, What's the story here? So I'll give you the good and then I'll give you the bad. The good news is annual recurring revenue was up 40% to $1.2 billion annual recurring revenue is going to be the way this stock either works or doesn't work. So by that metric, we got exactly what we thought we would get. Gross payment volume also rose up about 34% year over year, which is very healthy. That's about $33.7 billion. So that's every restaurant in America that uses toast, and it's almost 100,000 restaurants Everything from a mom and pop owned diner to a giant chain. Uh, That's a lot of uh, revenue going through this system and that was up in in a very healthy way. Lastly, gross profit up 50% to 226 million. That's before expenses, but still. Um, The low lights are the guidance. Guidance for Q4 was weak. That's not good. It's not what you want to see. This is a growth stock, and if it's not going to grow as fast as people thought it would, they're going to sell it. I personally think selling it at 14 is a mistake. I bought a little bit more yesterday morning before the open. Uh, I'm not up on that purchase yet, but... um, I always assume going into a story like this that my first purchase is not going to be the best price it'll ever trade at. People who have been watching the show understand that that's the way I invest. There's a lot of humility to my process. I bought Uber at 40 Last year I was buying it at 20 Now it's at 50 I'm, it, it, The initial purchase for me, I don't count on it. I don't put on a full position. So I'm sticking with it to answer anyone that's asked you. And by the way, in 2015, Toast was announcing that it signed up its 1,000th customer. Now it's almost a hundred thousand. Now they're doing a billion and change uh, in revenue every quarter. It's a seven billion dollar market cap. It's tiny. So if and when they come out with a quarter that exceeds Wall Street's expectations, I think there's a lot of upside here and I'm very much excited about that. Okay. So the headline sticking with it and bought more yesterday. i ain't never scared. Yeah. (laughs) Well, sometimes maybe sometimes. Maybe. No, I can't think. No, I have two teenagers at home. There's nothing that a stock could do that, uh, that honestly, like there's no volatility in the market that could rattle me at this point. Is this company,
2: so, like when are they going to be profit? When are they going to earn something? Are we talking like a couple of years or No, next year? Next year.
0: Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, up next, Mike Santoli joins us with his midday word. We're right back on the half after this.
4: Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now.
0: right. Senior markets commentator Mike Santoli is at the desk. As you can clearly see, we're still in one of those zones of trying to figure out what's going on. Right. We were like trying to get to. (laughs) I'm always in that zone to to figure out what's going on. We're trying to get to 4,400. You know, we're going for these records nine in a row in in terms of the S&P longest in 19 years, 10 in a row for the NAS. It's fascinating. I mean, when it comes to these streaks, It's very much like sports
5: where there's always luck or there's random factors or there's a flukiness to the fact that you get these streaks. But the streaks, the really long ones, only happen when you're actually also good. Right? So it's not like terrible players have 25-game hitting streaks in the, in the major leagues. Similarly, when you have these long streaks, it sort of shows you there's not a lot of motivated selling uh, to, to knock the big stuff down. And at the end of these streaks, I have some, some data on this later, typically it's led to somewhat better returns you know, in the next, let's say, couple of months meaning it's not like the way the market sort of like gets the last little bit out Mm -hmm. of the buying interest. Now, that being said, what also is mostly going on is the markets resting after a pretty good sprint last week. Most stocks have pulled back, even if the S&P has not. You still see that return of the stubborn bid in in the big favorites, and we know why that is. Um, And you also don't have a lot of valuation-sensitive selling in those names. That's the other thing people forget. Uh, I think if a, a Microsoft or something like that, it's not as expensive as was two years ago and Mm -hmm. the fundamentals look better. So all that stuff is going on. Um, Yields have cooperated enough. And I think that's uh, obviously a part of it. We'll listen to to see if Powell wants to say, you know, we don't want your long term yields to go down too much because then it loosens financial conditions. And then we're we're back in that zone of uh, of wondering if they have to do more, which they don't want to do. What do you think
2: it's going to take for the laggards to actually become the leaders?
5: A very good question. Um, I don't know if a we're going to get to that moment <laughs> fun of, of fun people flows. getting confidence in a reacceleration of macro. You know, you have to almost see an accumulation of evidence that says, you know, either that or we start to get genuine Fed rate cuts in sight. Uh, I, I just wonder if you can just say, well, they've taken most of their punishment that they're going to take, yeah. right? The equal weight of Russell 1000s at like 13 or 14 times forward earnings. A lot of it is junky companies. A lot of it, they don't have a growth story, but they've been discounted. Mm -hmm. I I, I assume that's that's
0: the whole case. I mean, you you were talking earlier, Josh, though, about, you know, let's just say the Russell, right? One of those points of of, uh, concern in the market that after you had the kind of stretch that you
1: did this comeback, the forward returns are generally pretty good. Yeah, but absent financials and industrials like roaring in the large cap space, you're not going to get it because we're not really talking about a cap size uh, conversation. This is really an industry composition uh, conversation. So what moves the Russell yeah, is not techs. It's not consumer discretion. Well, it but just even isn't. small
5: tech is, is not really doing what large cap right. tech is doing. That's it's fair. It's just a very different character to those companies versus, you know, it's, it's interesting. The market is deciding. You know, these are the companies we don't have to worry about because of macro or because they're going to be disrupted. Everything else, we have to worry about all that stuff.
0: That's right. I agree. All right, good stuff. I'll see you in a couple hours. All All right, that's Mike Santoli. He'll be back on Closing Bell, of course. Coming up, a check on the healthcare trade. It is the worst performing sector today. We'll find out how the committee is positioned there because there are a number of calls on some big names in that space. We'll do it next. Welcome back. Healthcare, the worst performing sector today. It's being dragged down by names like Eli Lilly, Biogen, AbbVie, Gilead. So, Rob Siechen, I'm coming to you here because Deutsche has initiated on the space today. And every stock that they've initiated on is a hold, which is interesting. Lilly, hold, 535 target. Regeneron, $800 target. Amgen, 240. AbbVie, 150. Gilead, 75. You own all of these What's going on with these names?
4: I think it's important to have a longer time horizon on these. Scott, we've owned these names a while, and while they've had a difficult year, pharma's been a bright spot within healthcare. Healthcare is down six percent year to date. Pharma's down two, but when you look over the last two years, it was up twenty-six percent in twenty-one, only two percent in twenty-two. But it's because of slowing top-line growth and rising costs. Cost pressures. And so the setup does look better going into next year with EPS looking to grow at 18% in 24. And remember, EPS declined 20% in 23. So we think the names we own we like a lot. Some have gotten expensive. Eli Lilly, for example, we've owned it's up 62% year to date. I mean, we're having a a remarkable year in our quality growth portfolio uh, up 29.5% net of fees. So it, these are names that we own in there. So mm-hmm. it's about having some things that work and some things that don't at the same time every year and still producing positive results. For Steph. example, Regeneron last year was phenomenal. Phenomenal. Right.
0: Right. right. Steph, uh, j and Zimmer, GE Healthcare, Zoetis, Solanco.
2: Yeah, I mean, we, we talk about GE Healthcare a lot, but I really like it, especially since it's corrected 20% from its highs and it trades at 12 times EBITDA. And this is a company that beat earnings, operating margins expanded. And I think that's going to be the theme for next year, next couple of years, as they have better volumes and better pricing. But I don't get j quite frankly. The stock is down 16% on the year, trades also 12 times EBITDA, and it's got a great pharmaceutical business. Medtech, they missed last quarter, so maybe that's. that's. That's why people were a little bit, you know, maybe alarmed or upset. But this is a quality franchise. They just spun out their consumer business and you know I like spins and I like the companies that actually do the spinning because they can focus on their core operations. So this is definitely a candidate to be adding to.
0: Okay. Final Trades coming up next. Right, closing bell, 3 o'clock Eastern today. Hope you'll join me. Mira Pandit, Joe Terranova, Laura Martin, and Kevin Simpson's Got some new trades. You find out what they are a couple hours from now. Uber, we never got your view. Josh, I don't think you were on when they uh, reported earnings
1: yeah so the earnings were spectacular the stock as we speak is printing a new 52 week high not quite an all-time high but it's i think it's headed there this is going to be included in the s p 500 it's only a matter of on what date Uh, they now have just reported two straight profitable quarters in a row what you need to do to get into the index is have a full profitable year plus the latest quarter be profitable we saw what happened with tesla this is now the largest by market cap company, $110 billion. That's not in the index, but it's going, and uh, I'm staying long.
0: Okay. Let's do some final trades. Rob Seachin, do you want to start us off?
4: Yes, I'll just go with Google uh, into the year end, just like we talked about earlier in the show.
0: Okay. Uh, I'm glad you sound so enthusiastic about it. (laughs) (laughs) That's just
2: me. I'm enthusiastic about (laughs) it.
0: Well, I'm going to go with Google. Where are you? In a restoration Pretty park optimistic <laughs> that about background? it. <laughs> 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 I'm getting ready All to right, have my Steph, bus Do you want to give us the optimistic view with, uh, 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 on Google that, will, that Rob apparently was incapable of doing? I
2: mean, if I said it before, 46% earnings growth, 11% revenue growth. <laughs> it trade's at uh, 15 times EBITDA. Uh, and I think uh, advertising's has uh, the way back.
0: You, what's your final trade, Steph?
2: Quantas services. we haven't really talked about this. PWR is down 22% from its highs. It's an industrial Again, and, and a play on infrastructure stimulus, right. and uh, the numbers have actually gone up three times.
1: Josh, Josh Josh, Josh, Josh. Also, Josh. fifty-two week high uh,
0: yesterday. Crowd strike. Congratulations right. to George. All right, I'll see uh, on closing bell the exchanges now. You've been listening to CNBC's halftime report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at twelve Eastern only on CNBC.